you'd have something a little more flashy to follow that intro. But uh, good morning. How's that? Glad you're all here today. Uh, as we jump in, I just want to, there's something, a uh, strange phenomenon that's going on in our culture today, especially with, with teenagers, I think. And uh, it almost seems that if they want to get involved in any activity or if they want to do something, um, like find something that they're, they're trying to identify with or, or, or get into, they have to be the best at it. And they almost have this mentality in our culture today that if you can't be the best at something, if you can't be the greatest, why even try? Like once you get into it and you discover, if I'm not going to be the best, if I'm not going to be the greatest, I, I don't know if I want to do this thing. And I don't remember that feeling when I, when I grew up, but it seems to be fairly prevalent in our culture today. And I think because maybe it's in their world, um, the guy who's at the top, the person who's the starter on the team, the most popular uh, person in the room, uh, the YouTube video with the most hits is in their mind the epitome of greatness. That's what they're measuring against. And they have so many uh, visuals of what it means to be the greatest at something. Everybody wants their video to go viral in life, whatever it might be. Uh, about a year ago, there was a video that did go viral that I tried to get for you this morning, but you can see how quickly in our culture things like that are a flash in the pan because I couldn't even find it. But it was this video of a cyclist, and maybe some of you saw it, but it was about a three-minute video, and it showed this guy on a bike, like he would jump from one cliff top, cliff top to another. Uh, he would ride his bike down the side of rails. He would be able to just kind of do things on a bike that you just thought he must be glued to that bike and have some form of supernatural balance. It was just amazing. You would watch all the different tricks this guy would do on a bike. And my favorite part of the video, though, was the last 30 seconds. Because in the last 30, you watch two and a half minutes of amazing. And in the last 30 seconds, they switched to like these one second little outtakes of all of his failures. The clips, the, the stuff that got cut on the editing floor in order for them to make a video of his greatness. And it was like, boom, boom. And it was painful to watch. But in some ways, you felt like, okay, now I identify with him. <laughs> now I'm more like that guy. I get it. I, re I, re uh, I resemble a lot of that, what I see in the video. But here's what I, what I also noticed in our culture today. When we're trying to be the best, when we're trying to prove that, that we're great at something, when we're most focused on promoting ourselves, is when we least feel the greatest. The times when we try the hardest to demonstrate our own value or our own importance in life is deep down when we feel the most stressed or intense or harried and most worried about how valuable we really are and what contribution we really have to make in this life. And Jesus says being really great, firing on, on all cylinders in life, living life in the fullest way possible is not about being first. It's not about being in charge. It's not about being well-known or it's not about being successful. You see, Jesus was, wasn't focused on his own importance or his own greatness or um, at least not in the way that we tend to measure these things. So we know that Jesus was on the earth for 33 years and his as best that we can tell, in his 33 years, he only had a small following when he was alive. He never held any powerful position. He never made any significant amount of money. And I do know for sure that he never had a video go viral while he was alive. And yet, his life affected more people than any other single person in history. So I figure being the most well-known figure in history, the greatest man who ever lived, Jesus might be an authority on the subject of greatness and what it means to be great. And Jesus said that he came to serve. He came to lay down his life for others. So I want you to hear this this morning. Maybe our greatest moments might not be when we think we're great, but when we make someone else great 
by serving them. And this is the bottom line. According to Jesus, we're firing on all cylinders when we serve. That's when we're operating at our best. That's when we're at our peak performance. Serving others instead of ourselves is what makes us great in this life. And today we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about serving and greatness. So if you haven't pulled out your outlines, I'd love for you to do that now. I think it'll help you follow along. If you have your Bibles today, you can open them up. We're going to look at a couple different passages of Scripture. If you don't have your Bible with you, then you can just follow along. It'll be in your outline or up on the screens this morning. So according to Jesus, if you want to fire on all cylinders, if you want to truly be great, then serve. And uh, our first point of focus this morning is be a servant in God's family. Be a servant in God's family. Now let me explain why when Jesus began to tell people about what it, how important it was to be a servant, why it would have turned things um, on their head as far as their perspective in that day. Um, in Roman culture, um, when someone... When Rome, Rome at the time was coming into different areas and they would conquer maybe a country or an area, territory, and when they would come in and do that, only Roman citizens had any rights or status in that culture. So everybody who had been a part of that culture previously to Rome moving in and taking over, um, basically their role in culture would be to be a, a servant um, of a Roman citizen in some way. So they, they would be considered a, a bond servant and they would have a master and it wouldn't have, they would have no benefits other than what that master would provide. So in many cases, um, like even in the time of Jesus' day when uh, Jerusalem was under Roman rule or under Roman supervision, the, the citizens uh, of uh, Jerusalem, they would have maybe their own subculture within, but any real rights as citizens would only be granted uh, to Romans at the time. So even a Roman citizen who owed a debt to another Roman citizen would be considered like an indentured servant or a slave until that debt was repaid, and then they would be able to step outside of that status. And in Hebrew culture, uh, it was similar. If you owed someone money, you would almost, uh, there would be ways that they'd mark it, maybe through um, an earring or, or a ring or in different ways that they would say, you're marked as a servant or as a, a slave. Now, you can understand there was no value then innately or internally to someone being considered a servant. It was a forced, obligatory kind of status thing that you didn't really want to hold. You were just forced to have it. So Jesus comes in and says, the greatest people are the servants. Jesus redefines it. He said, a servant is someone who chooses, who chooses to make his life about bettering someone else besides him or herself. So centering your life on yourself isn't greatness, according to Jesus. In fact, in Mark chapter 9, we're going to look at in just a second, we get this incredibly honest glimpse into a conversation that Jesus' disciples were having. Uh, The disciples were having an argument. They're following Jesus. They're actually returning from a day of ministry. And as they follow Jesus on the road, um, I don't know, maybe some of them were up with Jesus and there was a group that lagged behind. But this conversation was happening. Let's read about it in Mark chapter 9. It says, They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, Jesus, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Okay, let's take a little pause right there. So what's going on here? They're arguing the disciples about who is the top dog among them. Okay, like within our little posse here, which one of us has outperformed or outshines or is the most popular? Now, the disciples were kind of one-upping each other in this moment. I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd where people are one-upping each other. That's what was happening, I think, with the disciples right now. 
Jesus had just empowered them to do incredible things. As a matter of fact, Jesus would go on to say, you will do even greater things than I did. But in that time, they were doing ministry, and Jesus had empowered the disciples. So you could just picture this. They're returning from a day of ministry. They're all excited about what had happened in that day, and they start to own a little bit of it and say, hey, that was pretty great today, wasn't I, in, that, in my performance? So I don't know how it went, but it might have gone something like this. Matthew um, may have been talking, and in his excitement, he said, did you see me cast out that demon in Jesus' name? Like, yeah, I mean, it was in Jesus' name, but did you see me do it? <laughs> like, I was pretty great today, wasn't I? And I can just see Peter stepping up, and Peter saying something like, oh, oh you only did one? <laughs> well, I did three. I just said Jesus' name, you spirit fingers, and all three of those demons were gone, just like that, just gone. So don't tell me about your one little runt demon that you cast out today when I was way ahead of you in, in, uh, in what happened with me today. Peter was saying, I'm probably a triple threat demon caster outer disciple. That's the kind of guy I am. I, I don't know how this conversation was going, but to us, sometimes I think this helps make the disciples a little bit more real. And they knew somehow that their conversation was a little bit out of line because when Jesus asked them about it, they all went quiet. Nobody wanted to admit that they were having a conversation that was uh, kind of one-upping each other. But Jesus knew. He knew that they were asking, who is the greatest? Who's the most important? Who has the highest position in our group? And how does Jesus respond? I want you to catch this. Jesus, sitting down, called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Will you underline that? Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a he took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So Jesus calls his disciples together and presents them this paradox. He says, do you want to be first? Then learn to be the last. Do you want to be great? And learn to be a servant. And you can just see picture the look on the disciples' face as they stared at him with a blank stare. This is a whole new paradigm. Have you ever said anything to your kids that you think are going to be powerful words, or you've thought this through, and you want to say this thing to them, and they give you that look that you just know it's like, nothing, nothing is sinking in. And uh, I can just see the, I think that's the look that the disciples were giving Jesus in this moment as he's turning their world upside down. Probably later on, as soon as he turned away, they were like, what is he talking about? <laughs> like, it just would have been so foreign to them. It, it wouldn't have made any sense to them at all. So then to drive it home, as if these statements that Jesus makes aren't big enough and earth-shattering enough to them, to drive it home, Jesus takes a child. And I love the way Scripture portrays this. He said he brings it into the, into the middle of them, this child. And then he kind of brings this child over into his arms. And when he does that, he says, when you welcome a child, you not only welcome me, but you welcome God the Father. Now, that may make some sense to you in today's culture, but let me tell you why in first century culture that would have made no sense at all. Children in first century culture were not regarded as innocent and precious and valued and protected and something that we want to invest in. Unlike our culture where we, we nearly worship our kids and make their events and the things that they do such a top priority um, and their activities, in first century culture, they regarded kids as unimportant a nuisance to be seen and, and not heard. And people who paid attention to kids in that day were not considered to be great. 
they were considered to kind of be the lowest people who were relegated to invest or to pay attention to kids. I want to ask, have you ever gotten down on one knee in order to talk to a child? I mean, have you ever gotten down and looked the child in the eye so that maybe not only were you on their level, but maybe even you were lower than them? Isn't it amazing what comes out of kids when you get down on that level? Um, When you get down, you bend down and do this. I love to hear what kids say when I make myself small so that they feel bigger. I love to see what they do in those moments, how their eyes light up and how they respond to you. And it's amazing how important they feel, how much empowerment it gives kids when we stop being big in their presence, but when we make ourselves small. And when I do it with my two littlest ones right now, they feel so empowered, they just jump right on me. They just take me down, you know. (laughs) It's like, hey, you're going to get down here. We're going to wrestle. We're going to go at it. But I love that. I think it's just a great picture. So much of our life, we spend our time trying to make ourselves bigger and more prominent, even maybe with our kids. But when you take the time and you make yourself small, when you get on a knee and you make yourself small, it makes the other person feel big and feel valued because you've even physically taken that posture with them. So what's the lesson here? What's the lesson that Jesus is conveying? According to the greatest man who ever lived, we do not become great by helping ourselves feel important. We become great by helping others feel important. Jesus warns us that greatness works differently than we naturally think about greatness. Jesus is is saying if you're trying to be important, you'll simply be regarded as selfish or self-absorbed, and you might get that position in life. You might have that status. But if you make others feel important, you'll experience respect and appreciation for, for who you are, not for what you've accomplished in life or for what you've done. And that's what serving does. That's how it works. By doing something from which we do not benefit, we benefit. Catch that. <laughs> serving, when we serve, by doing something from which we don't benefit, Jesus says we benefit. But we have to be aware of our heart attitude as we serve because there's a huge difference between servitude and servanthood. And let me give you a picture of this. Have you ever been driving down the street and you see people in all orange suits picking up trash? And maybe there's something written on the suit, but when you see that, what do you think? You think they're prisoners and they're doing a work detail and they're required to do what they're doing right now. But what's the difference between that and when you drive down the seat and you, street and you see people in orange vests? Maybe some of them are teenagers. Maybe some of them are seniors. And they're kind of working together in those orange vests and cleaning up. You think servanthood. You think they made a choice. They're giving their time to make the, air, the highway or the road or the, the town look better. And there's an, a level of respect that comes when you see somebody who's truly serving out of their heart instead of serving because they're required to. They look very similar, but one is forced. It's required. The other chooses to serve from their heart. For me personally, when I feel like I'm doing the dishes for the thousandth time that day or that week or another load of laundry that needs to be folded or clothes that need to go to kids' rooms or when I'm cleaning floors or pumping up a basketball or fixing a bike chain, these are not jobs that make me important. They make my family important. Those things that I'm doing benefit them. 
but it also benefits me because in those moments, I become free from my self-absorbed, self-centered behaviors, and I don't feel like I have to prove anything. When I get myself out of the center of my life, it allows me to be centered on others and to be centered on Jesus, and it gives me a servant heart. But if you have the attitude of servanthood, as you, servitude, I'm sorry, as you do those same things, it will spoil your experience. How many of you were able to make it out to the big serve day yesterday? Anybody able? Good, a number of you. Um, thank you for coming out with an attitude of servanthood instead of servitude. You all made such a huge difference on our campus, and I heard from so many people, even this morning, what a joy it was to serve yesterday. What a joy it was to serve together with other members of our church family because people did not come out with a, we are required to do this. People came out with a, I have a heart to serve my church family this way. And it made the day beautiful in so many ways. It made the campus beautiful, and it made the time together beautiful. So how we approach serving is really vital to the way that we experience serving. And that's what Jesus was pointing out to his disciples. Jesus is saying, the greatest people in my kingdom don't center their lives on themselves, but they center their lives on others and on God. Now, many of you are here this morning, and you have been serving your whole life. It's what your family did. It's what you learned to do. And you have been giving yourself, uh, not only to your family, but to your church family, to other people, You've worked and worked at this for years as a Christ follower to say, this is who I want to be. This is what I want to do. But sometimes when we do that for a long time, we get tired. We just get weary because we've done it for a long time and maybe we lose perspective on how what we're serving makes a difference. And in our hearts, uh, when we get tired, it becomes more of a task that we have to do versus something that we find joy in doing. And suddenly we flip over from being, having a servant's heart to being a little disappointed with ourselves because we feel like we have to get up and serve or we have to go serve our family or it's my day to serve at the church or it's my week to do this. And, and the, our whole perspective changes even though in our heart we want to be people who have a servant's heart, who follow Jesus in a genuine way. And that's why Paul, who spent his life serving other people, Paul, who spent his life making other people more important than himself, encouraged the Galatians in this way. Look at what he said in Galatians chapter 6. Why don't we read this together? Ready? Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Underline those last couple lines. Let us do good to all people, especially to our church family. Let's do good to everyone, but let's especially make sure that we're looking out for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't grow weary. Hang in there in serving. It pays off. It's a promise from God's word, and sometimes it's just a reminder that just a little perspective change, maybe just a reminder of how that servant act that we're doing benefits others, how it blesses others when we get down on a knee and we do something maybe that no one else will ever notice, or when we do something for the thousandth time, that God can give us a servant heart even in doing it one more time, that we can do it as an act of of generosity and blessing to someone else, and God can change, um, change the whole nature of that serve for us. Paul says, stick with it, and you'll see the rewards. Did you know that there are more than 300 daybreakers between our two campuses, Gettysburg Pike and Good Hope Road, there are over 300 daybreakers every week who come out 
and make you more important than they make themselves on Sunday morning by serving in some capacity. Isn't that amazing? 300 people each Sunday between our two campuses that that serve in some way. Now catch this. Throughout the week, there are more than 500 different ways that people serve in Daybreak in order to meet needs in the community, in order to make others more important than themselves, in order to meet needs within our church family. Isn't that amazing? Over 800 different ways every week that people say, I'm going to think of someone else before myself. I'm going to think of the needs of others before they might even show up that day or that week. It blows my mind. And if you consider Daybreak your church, I want to encourage you this morning. If you haven't found a way to serve yet in our church family, I want to encourage you to be a part of contributing to what God is doing in this spiritual family. And maybe Sunday would be a great place for you to get started because you're already here. (laughs) You're already coming. And it doesn't involve anything else. It just might be a great place for you to find some small way that you could serve our church family. Choose to be important by increasing someone else's importance because the Bible says that as a Jesus follower, serving isn't really a question of if we have time. It's not really an option. It's the way that we follow Jesus through serving. We experience the better way of life that Jesus intended for us. I want you to process this this morning. Serving others could change someone's life and it might start with changing you. (laughs) Serving others could bring life change and that life change most likely, according to Jesus, is going to begin inside of you. So every Sunday, there are just many, many different ways that you could pitch in. And in your worship guide today, there's an orange sheet. It looks like this. If you take a minute and pull that out. We're just going to look at one side of it right now. It says Sunday serves. There are all kinds of different ways that you could get involved in serving on the weekend. And this is just a high-level look at those different opportunities. But I want you to take a few minutes and consider if you haven't found a way that you can serve uh, through our weekend, that you could do that. And here's a couple of questions you might have as you go into serving. If you're afraid that you'll sign up and you'll have to do something forever, um, don't worry. We'll let you trial run it. We'll let you find something that works for you, even if you do it once or twice and you feel like this doesn't fit for me. We'll help you find something that does fit for you. If you question if you're going to know how, uh, will I know how to do this? Will I be trained properly? Um, we will, uh, our leaders and our volunteers will show you the ropes. We promise. If you're worried that you're going to miss out on the service, you can sit in one service and then you can serve in the other service. If you're afraid that your kids will not make it through two services, services on a Sunday morning, I want you to know that my kids have done this basically all of their life and they've turned out fairly normal. There, there are a few things, but I'm not sure I can contribute it to them being here for two services on Sunday. A uh, few things I'm still concerned about. Uh, my older kids, they have learned this pattern, and all of them, my teenagers, serve the younger kids in one of the two services when they're here. Not always every week, but at least every other or or a few times a month. And they've just learned it as a way of life. That's kind of what we do. That's how we come together and serve together. Maybe you're able to serve once a week, or uh, maybe it's even once a month. But whatever it is, I'll tell you this, you can count on harvesting good things, godly things in your own life when you make yourself a servant. Jesus promises us that. After all, Jesus says the way to fully experience how great he made you is by choosing to be a servant. And this morning I want to give you the opportunity to be a part of helping someone experience the true importance of being a servant. And we're going to do that this morning by taking a few minutes to say thank you. 
And who knows, this morning we might even be able to transform an attitude of servitude into an attitude of gratitude for someone who's been serving uh, recently. So I want you to take out the thank you card that's in your program today. Everybody should have one in there. As a matter of fact, if you need one in the next couple minutes, um, you can feel free to get up and go right uh, out to the back and someone will have one there for you. Apologize, I should have had those available in the room. But this morning I want to give you some time to say thank you to someone who has served you, someone who thought of your needs above their own this week. Now this might be someone outside of our church family, just someone who did an act of service for you and you want to say thank you to them. And you can even tell them, I went to church this Sunday and one of the pastors got up and he told me that I really need to be more aware and more open to how God uses other people to serve me and you have served me this week and I just want to say thank you. It was a huge blessing to me. You encouraged me in in so many ways when you did that. But maybe it's someone inside of our church family this morning. Maybe there's someone very specific who has ministered to you in some way this week or recently and you didn't take the time to say, your serve made a difference in my life. You made me greater because you made less of yourself in serving uh, and meeting my needs. So if you can't think of anyone in specific, if you can't think of any one name who you'd like to write this card to this morning, of anyone personally, someone who served you this, this week or recently, then I want you to write it to someone who served you this morning. For instance, you might write, Dear Daybreak Coffee Makers, and then you write a word of thank you to how much it means to you. I got to tell you, I was here at about 6.45 this morning, but I came downstairs at about 7.15. And when I got downstairs at 7.15, there were already two people down here warming up the coffee, getting it ready so that you could be awake this morning. <laughs> Isn't that a great gift? <laughs> people who come in and make less of, them, of themselves so that they can make you greater. People are thinking about you. Do you know this morning you might want to write your, your thank you card to the Daybreak Greeters? Maybe you've never said thank you to the people who make you feel so welcome and say hello as you come in the, in the morning. Maybe our tech team or our band and worship leaders, uh, and you just want to say thank you. Maybe you want to write a note of thanks to the prayer partners who have prayed for you already before you walked in this morning and you had no idea that people are praying for you before you even enter this room. And whenever you write anything on a response card, they pray faithfully for you. They get back to you. Maybe you want to write a note of thanks to them. Maybe you want to write a note of thanks to the first grade teachers. You might not, know, not even know who teaches your first grader, but you just want to hand it to someone at the desk when you go pick up your kids, or maybe you want to give it to the runner who's going to bring your kid out and say, would you please give this to the teachers in the class? I want them to know how much I appreciate them today. Maybe you want to write it to the nursery baby squeezers, the ones who love on the babies, so that you can have a few moments of peace when you're in the worship center, or the student ministry staff, or volunteers who engage with your teenagers and help point them to Jesus. You can just take it there after the service and give it to someone and then they'll pass it on and it will affirm them in their desire to serve and to be like Jesus. And while you take this opportunity to be thankful this morning that we're going to take here in just a moment, I found a classic Christian song from the 80s. Now, if you were a Christ follower in the late 80s into the early 90s, you probably heard way more of this song than you ever wanted to. But this song, it will be new to many of you this morning. This song captures the heart of what we're talking about fully today, about how our God rewards and celebrates us following Jesus in a life of humble service. So take these next few moments, write out a thank you. Let somebody know how much you appreciate them as we take a few moments and soak in this song this morning.
We walked upon the streets of gold Beside the crystal sea We heard the angels singing And someone called your name We turned and saw this young man And he was smiling as he came And he said, friend You may not know me now Then he said, but wait You used to teach my Sunday school And I was only eight And every week you would say a prayer Before the class would start And one day when you said that prayer I asked Jesus in my heart
How many of you heard that song for the first time this morning? That was the first time you heard it, a number of you. Boy, they wrote some good tearjerkers back in the 80s, didn't they? Whew. (laughs) Thank you for giving to the Lord. It's the truth. Uh, People's lives are changed when we serve in in the way that God has has uniquely designed us to. But being a servant, um, it transforms us. But there's a tension here, and the tension is this. When we serve others, we may not always love the ways that we're called to serve. And sometimes we just have to do things that we don't love because God calls us to do them. But what about the passions that God gives you? What about the unique gifts that he's given each one of us? How do we take those things and really make them a part of, of the way that we serve so that we can really line up our heart and our passion with the heart of God? And that's our second focus for this morning. We do that by discovering your unique serve in God's world. Discovering your unique serve in God's world. I want you to look around the auditorium this morning and, and uh, do you see anyone who looks like you this morning? <laughs> do you see anyone whose personality is exactly like yours? Probably not because you are incredibly unique. A combination of a four to the three billionth, that's four followed by three billion zeros chromosomes that make up your individual, your DNA, who you are. Um, and I think God did that on purpose with us. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to his young protege, Timothy, this is potentially Paul's last letter uh, before he died that he was writing to Timothy, he encouraged Timothy to discover and unlock both how God created Timothy and also what God was doing inside of Timothy so that it could benefit others. So this letter of 2 Timothy, it's very personal And it's very inspiring when you see it as a spiritual father who's inspiring his spiritual son to go out and live life fire on all cylinders. So he says this in 2 Timothy 1, 5 through 7. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now also lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame. Would you underline that? Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So Timothy was Paul's young protege, but Paul was, was far away, and Timothy was on his own to lead and to try to help other people dis- in his community discover Jesus. And apparently, Paul had heard that Timothy was discouraged, or maybe he was a little timid or shy, um, reserved about taking his passion for God and his gifting and using it to impact his ministry and his world. So Paul says, Timothy, fan into flame. In other words, stop holding back. You're holding back. You're letting insecurities and other things hold you back. Stop doubting what God can do in and through you. Recently, I was talking to someone who was taking journey class, And they were so excited to finally be taking journey class and talking about how much they're learning and how much perspective it's giving them on their their own spiritual life right now. And so they had mentioned something about they couldn't believe how long it it took them to actually take the class. And I said, well, what what held you back? Why did you not take the class those other times? What was was keeping you? And they said, because I knew if I took the class, then I'd be on the hook for what I learned. (laughs) They said, I knew if I took the class and I discovered all these things about me and I knew that this was the way that God designed me, then I would feel obligated to do something about that. And I wasn't sure that I was ready to take that step. 
I think that's incredibly honest because there's lots of reasons that we hold back on what God wants to do in and through our lives. Maybe we're afraid that we're not competent or we won't have the time or we don't know if God made us really passionate about anything. We see other people's passion for things and we're like, I don't, I don't know what I'm passionate about. What would Paul say to you? He'd say you're not on your own because of what Jesus has done for you. God's spirit can do something through you that will be transformational for you. I've seen someone who has experienced an unbelievable amount of grief and loss in their life um, who now has not only found healing but helps to lead our grief, grief share group and they smile when they talk about the great things that God has done through them in that ministry. I talked with another member of our church family who um, back when their son was starting elementary school, uh, she came out here for one of our midweek programs and was dropping her son off and thought, you know what? I'm not going to have a le- It's too far to go home. Why don't I serve in the girls group that, with the kids that are the same age, the girls that are the same age as my son? And I'll do that. And she thought, I'll do that for this year or this, uh, this part of the year. And she did it and she stayed with it. And now those girls, years later, are going into middle school. And those girls are begging her to stay with them Uh, And she has agreed to stay with them as they move into middle school because they absolutely love the way their relationship with her. They value it, her ministry to them, the way that she's helped point them to Jesus and the investment that she has made in in their life. And God has worked through her in ways that she never expected because she just decided she would step out and serve. You know, Pastor Sean has a really similar story, and I want to take a moment, and let's just watch his 100-word story together. For a long time, I wondered if my life and my talents really mattered. I had this deep, nagging doubt that I would ever have what it takes. I felt klutzy and awkward and in a crowd out of place. And I often felt like I needed to fake it just to make it. One of the greatest lessons I've learned through my relationship with Jesus is that God created me. God loves me the way I am. And that's for a purpose. I'm God's masterpiece, unique and made to reflect Jesus in my own way to the world. And I found a lot of freedom in that. Freedom to become the very best version of myself. The version that looks and feels, probably most importantly, loves like Jesus. I love, it. I love that story. All of us are on the same journey. Um, If you're a Jesus follower, serving isn't optional. It's just the way that we live as Christ followers. And we're called to fan into flame the unique way that we can serve the world. At the November workshop, if you're able to make it, we're going to help you answer three questions about your serve. The first is this, what do I do best? What do I do best? The second is, how do I work best with a team? And the third question is actually where most people start, and that's where should I serve? And the question of where is really a question of where does my passion and God's passion intersect? What do I deeply care about that God also deeply cares about? And this is really important because there are a lot of things in your life that you might deeply care about that you've never thought about God using you to impact others in that particular way. Passion is like an emotional magnet. You'll be drawn to whatever it is and on on your journey you can start praying as you do that thing and you experience it. God, would you help me help others on their journey with you as I do this thing that I'm passionate about for you. 
Many of you already know what your passion is. You just need to fan it into flame. Maybe you've been doing it for a long time, but you've, you've lacked the, uh, the intentionality of saying, Lord, I know the difference that this makes as I serve. And God's calling you to fan that passion that he's given you, those gifts, into flame, to courageously take a step of faith. And uh, remember that success, according to Jesus, is obedience. Failure simply comes when we don't try. Now, there are two ways... Uh, if you don't have an understanding, maybe this morning you're saying, I don't know what my passion is, and I don't even know how to get started in discovering it. I think there are two ways that we can help you with that. The first uh, way is to ask yourself some good questions, like the questions that are on the ministry passion inventory that's available to you on the roadtrip.daybreakweb.com website. I did this last night. I hadn't done it for a year or so, the ministry passion um, survey. It took me about 15-20 minutes and it was unbelievably affirming to me to recognize that in this part of my journey, there are areas that I do feel like God has given me a specific part of his heart that lines up uh, with my calling and I'm able to go ahead and invest and engage in those areas in meaningful ways because they're my passion. It's really easy to do. It's about three pages. It has really good kind of helps and instructions and you can find it uh, right on roadtrip.daybreakweb.com. I'd encourage you to do that. Or you can register for the workshop. We're going to help you do that there as well. The second thing I want to encourage you to do today is not just to sit here this morning and walk away from this message, but to do something. Try something new. Uh, Think about what you already pour your energy and your time into at work or in your free time. And then begin to ask God to help you know your area of passion. Maybe you can't put it into words yet, But chances are you'll know it when you experience it. You'll know it when you see it. You'll get this feeling deep down inside that says, this is a deep sense of what I was meant to do. This is how I want to affect change in my world is by partnering with God in this thing that he has a heart for and that I have a heart for and we can have impact in this together. Now, I'm probably a bit of a cynic, but do any of you know people who act like they fully support a cause maybe by like wearing pink or pouring ice water over their head. But you know them, and you know that they never actually do anything about any of those causes. They just like to be involved in kind of, on a general level, supporting those causes, even though they never actually give anything to them. They've never done anything about it. I'll be honest with you this morning. There have been times in my life where I've been so disappointed with myself because God has given me certain passions and made me uniquely And I've not done anything with those passions. Sure, I might be able to give a strong encouragement when someone brings it up in conversation, and I might be able to preach about that for a few minutes and talk about how committed I am to that, and I might be able to point towards what other people have done, but I've not really engaged my own heart. And then I sit and I I feel convicted, and maybe it moves on, and I don't do anything about it till the next time I feel convicted about it. But God is speaking to us. He's given us a heart in order to make a difference. If you've never done anything about your passion, the way that God designed you, you will find incredible joy in being able to use that passion to uniquely impact the world. You can't care about everything, but God cares about everything. And he's given you just a sliver of his heart that in this season, for this time, you can make a difference. So I want to encourage you this morning, don't sit there any longer. Do something about the passion that God has instilled in you. Let's pray together. 
Lord, maybe others need to join me in this prayer this morning. Father, I don't want to sit here one more week thinking about why I can't serve. I don't want to sit here one more week thinking about why the passion you've given me, I can't work it out in my life. Why I'm too busy or too important or not skilled enough or not spiritual enough or not around enough. And God, I don't want to continue to miss out on life like you meant it to be for me. I don't want to miss out on me living out the passion and having impact in the world that you've placed me in. I confess, Lord, that sometimes my life gets to be mostly about me and my preferences or what I'm going after. But today, I want to choose greatness. I want to be a servant. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to find an area of passion, and I want to let you change the world in some small way through me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. This morning, saw a world full of trouble. Now I thought, how do we ever get so far down? And how's it ever gonna turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven.
We have this opportunity this morning uh, to now walk out of here and uh, think, I'll do something about it later. Uh, but to say, I'm going to do something about it now. I'm going to take a step today. I'm going to listen to God's voice. And I'm going to be obedient to just take a next step. I don't know where it will lead, but I will take a next step. So if today you've been serving faithfully and your next step is simply to say, I'm going to keep on and I'm going to allow God to change my heart back to a place of servanthood instead of maybe where I've drifted to this place of servitude God, I'm going, to let the, I'm going to fan the flame within me. If that's your next step, you write that down today. That's your response to God. If today you've not served at all in the context of our church family and you want to take a step and maybe help out on the weekend and one of the things that's on this sheet under Sunday serves looks interesting to you, write it on your card today. Take that step. We'll help you get connected, see if it works for you and, and find a way that you can serve on, on Sunday and serve within our church family. Or maybe one of the unique serves, maybe one of your passions comes out when you read something that's on the other side of this form and you see it and you think, I'm passionate about that or I get excited about that. Let me give it a try. Let me see if I can find a way that I can start to allow God to take the passion that he's given me, partner it with his passion and have impact in my world. Maybe that's your next step today. Or maybe it's simply... I need to get some help with this, and I am going to commit to sign up uh, for the seminar that we're having uh, coming up in November, and you want to sign up and be a part of one of those two workshop days. You do that. But take these next few moments and respond to God. If you have a prayer request today, write that on your card. If you uh, need somebody to pray with you, you can head out and down the hall. Our prayer partners are ready to pray with you today. But let's listen to his voice and respond to him. Let's do something in these next few moments.
Something. It's time for us to do something. 